get ready to strap on your boots. I'm your host, Jason Sherman. In today's episode, I'm actually having a special guest for a special type of episode about legal agreements and law within your business. Um, here I have Devin Miller of Miller IP Law. Thanks for coming on to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Jason. I'm excited to be on. Awesome. I'm sure a lot of people want to pick your brain when it comes to this stuff because, uh, as I mentioned, a lot of my podcast episodes, um, legal agreements and you know certain documentation that you need to start a business is very important. But unfortunately, a lot of entrepreneurs don't have a lot of money to pay lawyers, right? Because, uh, for example, in one of my tech startups years ago, I paid thousands and thousands of dollars to get all the documentation I needed to get up and running. Um, and we mm. did raise some money, but we didn't exit. So, so that money was kind of lost, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll start with the, 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 the basic agreement that you really do need to, to begin a company is usually an operating agreement. And uh, what, what do you usually tell people when it comes to starting a business um, why they need an operating agreement, why it's important. Yeah, I mean, I would kind of put the the whole business formation, you know, operating agreement as part of a bit of business formation is probably the first step. And, you know, that includes, you know, filing it with the state, getting an EIN number, getting the operating agreement, all of those, I would say, kind of typically bundled together in the sense that you're going to do that all at the same time. The general reason why you're getting operating agreement is a couplefold. One is to shield you from liability, right? You don't want someone coming and if you do get sued or you get someone that's angry at you, you don't want them to come after your house, your car, your personal savings, your retirement. And so typically if you're a sole proprietorship, you do it just as a DBA or you're doing it as an individual, you leave yourself open to liability. And so what you're trying to do with the business formation is you're trying to shield yourself, at least your personal assets from that. Now, the one, maybe the one follow on to that would be if you're doing an operating agreement, typically if you have more, if you're, if it's all you and you own a hundred percent, it's pretty straightforward and simple. If you have partners, you have multiple people that are in the company operating agreement, typically you set it up for a worst case scenario, right? In the sense that if people get mad, if they die, if they, if you don't get along well, the business doesn't work out, if it goes bankrupt or anything of those type of natures, you want to have lined out how you deal with those. If you have a, you know, if you give, as an example, let's say you give every, both people a 50-50 split in the company, right? Seems to make sense. You're both partners, you're both founders. Now let's say you both have 50%. Does that mean you both have 50% voting rights? And what happens if you have a tie vote? If one person wants to do it and the other one doesn't, how do you deal with it? So that's kind of the things that you're trying to deal with when you do an operating or when you do an LLC form or a business formation, including an operating agreement. Right. So it's kind of like the Bible. It tells you like everything to do with your company. (laughs) You need to look look back and see, well, how did we decide we were going to do this? Well, it's in the operating agreement. So it's important to have, um, you mentioned when you have a, you know, a company and you have all these people in the company, but a lot of times these people that start businesses, they, they don't really have an LLC or a C corp yet or an S corp yet because, mm. you know, they don't have any money, right? They're just in the concept stage. They're just trying to get off the ground. So like, do they really need all that EIN number LLC paperwork and like all that stuff if they're still in the beginning stages? Yeah, I mean, it depends on beginning stages could mean a lot of different things for a lot of different companies, right? If it's just you, you're, you've got an idea, you're building prototypes, you haven't put it out in the public, you're probably okay with it out, out without an, a business yet. In the sense, now once you, what I'd usually say, 
once you get ready to introduce it in the public, that's probably at least by then you're going to want to do it. Now, the, I'll give you the one exception. If you're taking on investor dollars, you're taking on money from other people, you're not just bootstrapping it yourself. I would get it before you take on other pe- or take in other people's money other than your own, Absolutely. because you don't want, if they ever get mad and sue you, they get, you know, if, let's say that you take in on investor dollars and now they own part of the company, you're going to want it to be own part of the company as opposed to anything individually. But if you're bootstrapping and doing it yourself, then I would probably say when you're getting ready to either launch it, engage with other people, get contracts in place. Let's say you're going out and getting a manufacturer or you're doing other things that you're putting legal agreements in place. You typically want to have those agreements with the business and the vendor as opposed to with you as an individual. So once you get past just bootstrapping yourself, doing it all yourself, then you're going to want to have that in place. Awesome. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And that's what I tell people too, is that if you're going to start showing the product to people or you're going to take an investment money. So it mm-hmm. makes sense. Now, now there's something else that uh, people always want you to sign, right? When you, when you come into a business or they want to show you a prototype, they say, sign my NDA. Now mm-hmm. I, I haven't signed an NDA in years because I tell people, look, I get pitched way too many times. So as soon as I <laughs> sign it, it's already void. Um, mm-hmm. But now why, why do you think people make everyone sign NDAs and if they're not really going to be protected by them, because technically from what I understand, NDAs, you can kind of skate around them, but uh, you know, why is it such this big, such a big deal? Why do you think people think it's, you know, such protection or whatnot? I mean, if my general rule of thumb is an NDA is better than nothing. Meaning if, if you can get one in place, it's a little bit, why not in the sense that it does give you a level of, of, of protection. If somebody were to blatantly just take the information and give them, rip it off, do exactly what you're doing, it does give you some of that protection. But to your point, there are exceptions in an NDA. There's, you know, you can, if you were working, if you can show that you had the idea before working on it independently, you bought it from somebody else, there's a lot of exceptions. So NDAs are kind of one of those is better than nothing, but don't, don't give, it gives too often gives people a false sense of security that they think, Oh, now I'm covered. I can tell them everything. Well, I usually would say, get an NDA if you can, doesn't hurt, but really judge who you're working with. Because if you have to go to litigation, if you have to enforce it, you really the best way to avoid problems is to make sure you're working with good people and good parties. And that avoids much more of the problems than trying to get an NDA in place. Well said. Yeah, I think it sounds more like car insurance. You, you, when you have it, you, you know, you might have to use it, might not have to use it, but you should have it, right? Yeah, so, so I mean, there, there isn't a drawback to you, other than to your point. Now, if you're in a, a lot of times you're an investor, you know, you're somebody of that nature, you know, if it's, if you work with a lot of startups, you may not want to have an NDA because you're saying, Hey, to your point, I get pitched a hundred ideas a year and I don't want to box myself out from taking or listening to somebody else's idea because I signed an NDA with you. And so a lot of times some investors will, but most of them are going to say, Hey, I'm not going to sign an NDA. Tell me what you, or what you'd like to at your own risk. If you don't want to share the details, then that's fine, but I'm not going to sign an NDA because they don't want to exclude themselves from a better opportunity down the road. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think one of the biggest challenges I've noticed from entrepreneurs is they're afraid that if they tell you their idea, you're going to steal it. And I, I think that they don't understand that just telling somebody your idea, it's just not good enough. There's a, an idea versus execution stage, right? And yeah. executing on an idea takes a year, two years, four years to, to, to do. And, you know, so they think, oh, if I tell you my idea, you're going to run with it. But like, no, because now I have to spend a year to four years building your idea. Why would I do that without, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. So I think they, sh- I always tell people start giving your idea out to get feedback. Because if you don't do that, 
then you never know if it's even worth pursuing in the first place. And you're, and you're wasting a lot of time signing NDAs and possibly turning people off. Because the truth is, a lot of times people email me, I have an idea I want to pitch to you, but can you please sign an NDA? And I say, sorry, I can't do that because I might be working on a similar project or I might have already built something or whatever. So I just, I just don't sign NDAs anymore. Uh, this brings me to the, the next agreement, which is similar, but is one of my favorites. Because when I, when I was in, the, in my, one of my first tech startups, I was told I had to do this. And I was afraid because I was like, wait a minute, I'm signing away all the rights to the IP, the IP assignment agreement. And an IP assignment agreement, in the intellectual property assignment agreement, you are signing away the rights to the idea to the LLC or the corporation that you now own so that you no longer own the idea that you were getting NDA signed for. Now the company that is getting the investment dollars owns the IP. Now, tell me a little bit about why that is so important and why people should look into, everyone should be signing an IP assignment agreement when they jump into a startup. Yeah, so I mean, IP assignment agreement, maybe as to give the, just the, the general baseline, that's basically you're saying that while I invented this, the owner of the idea, I'm signing over all my rights to this idea to the corporation, to the business, right? In a sense, and now I don't own it personally, it's rather the business. And it can be your own LLC, a lot, and a lot of times it is. Hey, I'm the inventor, but I sign over my rights to the LLC, so the LLC owns it. So a couple of the issues that you get into is if you don't assign it, meaning if you, if you had employees that just all come and work for you, you didn't have that as part of the employment agreement, you didn't have it as a, it's called the CIAA, which is typically a lot of times agreement, you'll have people and it's confidentiality and assignment agreement. I always forget what the I stands for. Um, but you know, that one is an agreement that it says basically the employee has a duty to assign over to you all the rights of the invention. And the reason you do that is if you don't, your employees, you may pay them money. You think, oh, I'm paying them. They get a salary. Of course I own it. But in the, in the legal sense, a lot of times you don't own it. Employee leaves a company, goes off, does their own thing, starts their own company, becomes a competitor, goes and works for your competitor. They can take all, they have the rights of the, that they contribute to the invention. They can do anything they, they want. They can go sell it to another inventor. They can go do it on their own. And so if you don't have those assigned over, it leaves it for everybody that's an inventor on your invention has equal rights to go do whatever they want with with that invention, including sell it to other people, start on their own. So that's kind of, a, if you don't have that in place, can create a lot of issues for not having ownership. And then where it even gets worse is, let's say you go out to an investor, you go out to someone and they do, they're going to do if they're in any sort of a, you know, beyond friends and families, a real investor, they're going to have probably an attorney that looks over your intellectual property, your patents, and they're going to say, well, who, where's your assignments? Who has the ownership? You know, and they're going to say, well, it's ours. Well, it may be yours, but if you don't own it, then it leaves it open. They're probably going to be a deal killer because they're worried that the other people are going to go sell it off to somebody else. They don't have proprietary. So it can create a lot of issues. And obviously, the best way to do that is to avoid it by just having that agreement in place such that the company owns all the inventions that you invest in as opposed to individuals. Yeah, you know, it's funny. One of the scary parts of, of doing that, too, is, you know, everyone has seen, at least most people have seen the movie The Social Network, right? Um, mm. where Mark Zuckerberg supposedly steals Facebook from the, the Winklevoss twins. And, mm. you know, it, it begs to question if you do sign over the rights to your business or your idea to a company and then you get exited from the company, you get fired from the company, or you get, you know, whatever happens from the company, you get booted. Um, mm. Now you don't own the idea anymore because the company does. And, and this has happened before to lots of people like Steve Jobs mm. famously got booted from Apple. Right. And 
So he no longer owned the idea because it's not longer, it's no longer his anymore. So is there any way to protect yourself from, from, you know, as far as I know, there isn't, but maybe, you know, some kind of loophole that. (laughs) Uh, No, not honest answers. Not really. I mean, I would defend the companies for a second. Then I'll give you maybe one idea of an exception, which, you know, is an exception. Generally, if the company is paying you to do it, if they're giving you a salary, if they're if you're an employee, they're giving you insurance, they're paying your salary, and you you are doing the work they hired you to do, they probably should rightly own it in the sense that that's what they're paying you for. And if at the end of the day, if now you own all of the things that they paid you for, then they you know it's not fair to the company because now they paid you all the work. You can take off, take everything they paid you to do, and they're they're left in the cold. So I think that there is that fair trade off of hey, if you're if you're going to go work for them, if you're going to do using their resources, using their facilities, get a pay or a payroll, or get a salary, get insurance, and all those things, and you're doing what they hired you to do, they probably rightly should own it. But what about the, but what about oh, if you're the founder? Like, what if you're the founder of the business? It's like, say, you and two co-founders, there's three people, right? CEO, CTO, and VP of marketing. You guys own the business. Investors hmm. come in. They now own 51% of the company after, you know, three rounds of funding. And they decide, you know what? We don't, we don't want you guys anymore. We, we want other people now to run the company because you guys aren't really doing a great job. Whereas hmm. you might think you are doing a great job. And they, they can just boot you out. You don't own the business. I mean... Yeah, I mean, I, there isn't, I mean, other than when you make the original agreement with taking on investor dollars, you can sometimes safeguard against that, right? So you, one is to keep the majority ownership in the business. Don't give up the majority ownership and therefore they can't boot you or don't take on investor dollars. But you're right in the sense that if you take on investor dollars and they own the majority of your company, you now work for them. You're no, you're now their employee. You're not, they're not your employee. And so you do always want to consider when you're giving up that, you know, that equity, there's benefits to taking on that equity maybe you need it for development maybe you need the investment but you it does come with those handcuffs the only way you know if two ways to avoid it one it doesn't it wouldn't typically work you could you know one is the woodwork if you can keep the majority ownership in your in your business then that works you can you can keep control if you have to give up control then the other way to do it is to simply try and put in there, make it difficult, put in their clauses to remove you that, you know, you keep so many people or seats on the board, you keep so much, you know, so many overall, maybe you don't own it, but between you and the two other people, you own more than the investors, such that overall, you still have the voting rights, something of that nature. Other than that, the only other exception is if let's say that you working for a company, maybe you're a startup or small business or whatever, and you have a different idea, your next great idea, and you don't want the company to own it. The only way you can get away from that is you don't use any company resources when you're developing that new idea, right? So don't use any of the money that's by the company. You don't use it. Don't do it when you're working at the company. Don't use their computers or their hardware, software, anything else. Do it at home. Do it on your own. Keep it away from the company. Don't use any of that. And generally, if you want to pursue your next big idea, you don't want the company. You know, you can t- go down that route. But if you, if it's the company and it's they own it, it's going to be hard to get around it. Makes sense. Yeah, and you know, this is why a lot of people uh, aren't really sure what to do because it's there's a lot of you know these these uh term sheets you know the investors when they hand you a term sheet and it's got you know everything favors the investor right it doesn't favor you mm-hmm. because you know so a lot of people are afraid to raise money or they know that they need to try to get as much done as possible on their own and and then there's you know like you mentioned protecting with patents and stuff like that i mean there's there's provisional patents there's utility patents there's copyrights mm. there's trademarks 
And people always ask me if they should copyright their idea or trademark their idea or patent it. And my, my answer, which is a very, you know, simplistic one is uh, you only want to trademark something if you want to protect like a brand name that you're going to be mm -hmm. using in commerce if you're selling t-shirts or something. And you only get a patent if you have something that you invented that is useful, that, that has some sort of mechanics to it that um, somebody yeah. might want to try to use in the future. But there's probably a lot more to it than that. And, and so let, let's say you're a new business and you have a just a, a mobile app, okay? And you just have a mobile app and say that you're just about to launch. What would you tell them to do to protect their idea out of the four, out of the four different things, the copyrights, yeah. trademarks? And so, and I would say that the typical three ways, you tra your trade secrets, that's a different animal. And I'd probably uh, for a different conversation, but typically intellectual property includes patents, trademarks, copyrights. And to your point, Patents are going to be anything that's an invention, does something, has a functionality, has a utility to it. Trademarks are anything for brand, anything that name, name of a company, logo, catchphrase, you know, something, name of a product, those type of things. And or copyrights are going to be more on the creative. So books, you know, movies, televisions, video clips, sculptures, paintings, those type of things, those are going to be in the copyrights. Where I would start with the company is I would look and say, what is, where is the core value of your business and what are you protecting? So if you're the next Starbucks, right? Starbucks does coffee, they do donuts, they do drinks and whatnot. They don't probably have very many, if anything, proprietary. Their coffee, you, can, you know, is, isn't a, that much different than everybody else's, although they're good branding, but they have a very strong brand. So to them, a trademark is very important because it's all tied up in their brand. You think of Pepsi, Coke, you know, not getting political, Donald Trump and Trump Enterprises, you know, all of those are different brands and a lot of their value is tied up in their brands and it's because that's what everybody associates with it. Alternatively, let's say you're, a, you know, so if you're a software company and if you're an app company, maybe you just made the next dating app and there's really nothing different about it other than it's a great brand, you know, whichever brand it is. And I never use dating apps, so I doubt a good one to, <laughs> to, to do that. But you know, it's a really good brand, catchy people like it and you, you're a great marketer and great salesman. Then you're going to want to make sure to protect the brand of it. Alternatively, let's say you make the world's best software application. That's going to change the world. It's going to have, you know, it's going to cure cancer. It's going to tell you how to, you know, do whatever. And it has a lot of functional utility to it you're going to want to protect it with a patent in the sense that you, what you really, where the value of your business is more on the functional utility, the invention, the software, how it works. And so where I would start is wherever you see the value of your company, wherever that, that, wherever the core value of your company is, that's where you start to build your protection around. And then you can expand out from there, but that's always where you'd want to start. Nice. Yeah. And I've actually done one of each many times before. Mm. I own a couple of copyrights, trademarks, and I did some provisional patents. Now, in terms of the patents, the part that what you just said, you said that you want to protect the software that you built because you, you want to change the world with some new platform, right? Mm. But is, isn't it true that it's not only difficult to patent a platform because a lot of it is either open source technology that is either already patented or if you build something, let's just say, okay, let's say, for mm. example, you build like a blockchain enabled legal platform where you input some stuff and then it spits out a, a contract for you. Right. And it puts it into a smart contract. Like that probably already mm -hmm. exists, but let's just say it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Can't somebody come along, see your patent on Google patents or on the USPTO.gov website and see the patent and say, Oh, well I see what they did here, but I can just change this little thing here. And now it's a different patent. Aren't, isn't that how they, isn't that, isn't that like. Yeah. Yes. And no. So, 
I would say, first of all, let's define what the purpose of a patent, because there's a few different purposes of a patent. One is to box out other people from doing what you're doing. That would be one thing. Another is I would look at it as an asset of the business, right? So it can be, a you know, it's a lot of times you put in a lot of time, blood, sweat, and tears into a company and you put, you know, figure out how things work and how things function. And it's hard to monetize that. A patent is something that you can have something that investors are investable. It can be an asset of the company you can borrow against or other things. You can license it out. If you're getting acquired, it can be an asset that gives you a valuation. So it depends a little bit on what your, you know, what the purpose of your patent is. It's not only just to box people out, but can it serve other things? I mean, what, what, what about like, but what about like, you know, the fact that there's, I don't know how many thousands or maybe even more than that of these people, what they call patent trolls who just <laughs> patent stuff and they don't ever do anything with it. They just patent it. They don't do mm -hmm. anything with it. They just sit on it. And then when companies come out with their idea, they sue them. And like, how is that even fair? How is that legal? Like, you know, why are they allowed to do this? Shouldn't you have to have proof that you are building something or you built something mm. and you patent it? Because that doesn't, that just doesn't make any sense to me. I never understood, I never understood that. Well, let, let's go back to your, let me answer both of your questions or maybe and take a whack at that. So the first thing is, you know, is if you're doing soft in a software, but any patent, could somebody design around your patent? I would say anybody with enough time, money, and effort could always design around a patent. But that's kind of a little bit or aside from what it is. Typically, I would say a patent, I would relate it to a minefield. What you're trying to do is make a minefield that it's so difficult to get around. You can get around all the mines, but it takes so much time, money, and effort that it's easier to know the path. And so you're going to go get it go get a license from them, acquire them, or otherwise do, or do that business, then it is to design around, meaning, yes, I can design around your patent. It's going to take me five times as much money, twice as long. It's going to be twice as expensive, less efficient. Then, yes, I can design around it, but it may not be worthwhile. So that's kind of one thing I'd look at is you're typically building a portfolio of patents that creates a bit of that minefield such that it's, yes, people can design around, but it's so difficult and so less worthwhile. You either discourage them or they're going to come to you in order to go forward so you now, think the, so you think the most the more specific your patent is the better i think that there's there's a balance between if you go so narrow that it only covers your exact invention and it's very easy to design around then your minefield is crappy right it may, means you put one minefield in a big field and they, they you know the chances are going to hit into it is is nil on the other hand if you try and go so broad that you never can get a patent you're never going to build your minefield so there's a bit of a, a middle ground to where you're trying to get a reasonable scope reasonable breadth of your patent such that it gives you enough to cover what you're doing and cover the likely design around, but you're not going to be mired in forever trying to get a, too broad of a patent. Now, the, the second question you asked, and I don't want to tag on the patent trolls. Patent trolls, I'll defend them both ways. One sense there are some horrible patent trolls out there that they've just built a business around going and making or exacting money from particularly small startup small businesses that can't afford to go into a lawsuit. And they're saying it's easier to just pay them off than it is to fight them. Even if I'm in the right, even if the, the startup is completely fine, they get sued and says it's easier to just do a payoff. I'll give the defense of the patent trolls is that sometimes, let's say you're a startup or a small business, right? And you've you put in a ton of time, money, and effort to develop the next world's best next widget, the next iPhone that's going to blow the iPhone out of the water. But you're still a startup and you can't, you can't compete with the big boys. You can't compete with Apple or Samsung. If they want to come along and squash you, they could because they just have money to bleed you out. 
Sometimes in that situation, a patent troll, or a good patent troll, if you want to call it that, you can go and they can, they're in the business of enforcing it, of having that resources to take on the bigger companies because that's their business model. And so you may partner up with either sell them, license, or otherwise take an agreement such that while you can't fight those battles, the patent trolls can on your behalf. And so it, it, there is a, a small subsection of patent trolls that may be beneficial in the sense if they're actually going out and trying to help the startups or small businesses to enforce it. Now, the ones that go and gobble up a whole bunch of patents and just try and make everybody's life miserable, I'm not defending them at all. Yeah, I was going to say that those are the ones I'm talking about. They're the ones that literally they spend their time and money just getting patents and then looking for companies that are putting out their ideas and just targeting them with lawsuits. I think that it's it almost is stifling innovation in a way because in the mm. news you read about it where these companies are coming out with ideas, but like, oh, wait a minute, there's a patent on it and the guy didn't build anything, but now he's suing us for all the money we have. So we have to shut the company down. Well, there goes one company shut down because, sure. because they can't. So, you know, but it makes sense. I like, I like your take on, um, you know, battling Goliath, basically. So these little Davids are out there trying to beat down Goliath. And, um, you know, and the funny thing is, I think the large corporations don't really care. Because they have trillions of dollars, and so for them, you know, paying off patent trolls, they're here. Here's your money. Here you go. You know what I mean? It depends. It depends on if the patent troll is going to cave, right? Let's say, as an example, and I said these are probably a, a tangential because majority of patent trolls, I'm not defending them, so don't take that away. But let's say you really do have a, a valuable patent. You're saying. Apple is infringing our patent. If we go through all the course, we have a much bigger payoff at the end of the road than we do by taking the, the little amount that's for settling. They may go up the, the full distance because if they settle, they may get $100,000. If they take it the whole way, they may get $100 million. They're going to do that pot cost best analysis you know, risk analysis saying this is worthwhile to take it the whole way because we really do have a strong patent and they really are infringing it. So it kind of, I'm sure that, you know, patent trolls are going to look at it and say, do, do we take the quick money now or do we really have a winner of a case that we really do think that we can go after them? And in that case, they're going to go, they're going to see it through and not just walk away. Makes sense. And um, speaking of money, right? This is one of the biggest, <laughs> uh, one of the biggest questions I get asked from entrepreneurs usually is the difference between not only equity and stock options, most of them don't understand the difference, but also mm. how to determine how much equity to give to a co-founder or an employee, how many stock options to give an employee or a co-founder or an employee, um, when to give it to them, um, and, you know, why a cap table is important, things like that. Yeah, I mean, and putting aside, you know, stocks, I would say stock and equity are a little bit the same in the sense that you're really giving up a portion of your company. And that can either be via stocks and it's a certificate, if you're a C-Corp, S-Corp, those type of things, you'll probably issue it as a stock. And so you have so much, you know, so much stock, which equates into how much ownership. Equity is a straight, this is your percentage of ownership. So really, I just treat them for most people as it's just giving up a portion of your company in different forms. Now, how much you give up, I mean... That is always the question, and it's always a hard one to do, and I've done several startups myself. Most of the time, I tend to be more of, hey, if I can bootstrap it, if I can do it myself, I'd rather keep it to myself. But there are companies that, that I've done that it's just simply too expensive to, I don't have the resources to launch the idea and such that if I keep it to myself, the company's just never going to go anywhere because I can't bootstrap it because they were technology companies. They had a long development path. They, they required a lot of expense in order to get there. 
you had to take on people that had bigger checkbooks than I did personally. And then that one's always a battle of you're trying to push it as far as you can get as far as along down the road, such that you had to give up the smallest amount of equity while not going bankrupt or going under because you didn't have enough. And so I don't know that I have a good rule of thumb other than I try and I try and take as little amount of money as late as possible in order until I need it. And that's usually the best rule of thumb. But you do have to be careful that if you wait too long, you can either one, miss a, miss the window or two, go bankrupt because you never made it because you didn't get you, you ran out of money halfway through. And now the investors aren't going to come in because you're in a downward trajectory. You know, you're not looking like you're doing well and you're, you're, you're scrambling type of a thing. So I, you know, other than my general rule of thumb is wait as long as you can and take as little, little as money as you can. That's probably as good of advice as I can give. Normally, when it, when it comes to startups, I've run quite a few. Uh, I always equate um, stock options with employees, interns, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then equity, I equate with my co-founders, people who I started the business with. And then my rule of thumb is usually uh, how much money would they have earned at a similar job? And mm-hmm. then I, I, I try to value the company or the business. And then I look at the percentage of how much of that would have been their, their income. So I, I actually do math. I actually do math mm-hmm. when I, I try to get very specific. Um, sure. The second piece to that I usually do is how much time are they going to give the business? Can they be full-time or, or can they only be part-time? So if it's part-time, then I say, okay, well, that means you would only earn half of your salary at this mm-hmm. business. And that's this percentage. So I, I really do it by like time. And, and by how, how valuable they are, like how much they would earn somewhere. Um, now, and then- the, only, the only caveat I would give to people, and you'd probably agree, is you have to be careful. Of de- it's always easy at the beginning to just give out stock or equity as candy. It's almost, you know, hey, I can't pay you, but I'll give you a whole bunch of stock. And then you, you, you slowly, death by a thousand cuts, you slowly give away so much that one day you wake up and you're saying, I don't own anything. You know, I've owned 5% of my own company such that this does, I'm not motivated. I don't want to work here. I'm going to go do something new again because I can't do it. And you kind of get in that bad cycle because, you know, every employee you give a small stock option, it's just a small bit, but they start to add up because you're giving away stock, you're giving away equity over time such that you become to be no longer enticed on your own company. Well, you believe in vesting, right? So like a four-year vesting period where like you have to Mm -hmm. earn it over time or two-year vesting. Sometimes you can give them like a little bonus to start and then earn Mm -hmm. the rest. That's really what people need to do, right? The whole vesting No, absolutely. And no, and I, and I would, I would, other than maybe a very small bonus at the beginning, most of it, I would say you'd want to be a vesting period and vesting period is basically they either have to stay at the company so long, or they have to hit so many milestones or do so much or put in so much of their own money, but you can make it different ways, but they have to have basically goals or milestones such that if they don't reach that, they don't stay with the company long enough. They don't meet their performance goals. They don't get that equity. And I would absolutely put that in because otherwise what you're going to do is you're going to give it out, give it out out front they're going to take it for granted they're not going to remember that it was a, you know that this was a bonus it was supposed to be out over time and then you get people that are frustrated and you're continually battling it so i'm in complete agreement with you awesome all right so to wrap things up i want to ask you one last question if you could tell every entrepreneur out there what the biggest mistake that most people make when it comes to legalities or law when it comes to starting a business what is it and how can they avoid it all right, and I'll give a self plug in a second, but but I'll, I'll give the the real answers to whether or not you come to me or not, which is you know most of the time you're 
startups and small businesses are scared to go to an attorney because they're going to say, I don't even know if I need an attorney and I don't want that dollar sign, you know, here the kachin, the cash register going in that as soon as I go in, I'm going to start spending hundreds of dollars only for them to tell me I don't need, uh, they can't help me or I'm too early or whatever. And so what I, I would say that that's the typical mindset. I would probably flip that. Usually I would go to an attorney earlier in the sense that they may be right. They may tell you you're too early, but they'll usually, if you get a good attorney, they'll give you a roadmap of, hey, this is when you should engage us. You may want to come to us six months or a year down the road. These are the things that you'll want to consider. I would, you know, and they'll, they'll, they'll give you a bit of that strategy or that pathway, at least if they're a good attorney. There are plenty of attorneys that won't, but you're going to want to find one of those that are. The other one I would do is, as you're doing that, a lot of attorneys, myself included, and there are others, they'll do it like a strategy session or a free consultation such that you can go in, at least ask your questions, get an idea, get a roadmap, and figure out when you would want to engage them. And they'll oftentimes do that without charging anything. And that's kind of where I'd find that good, or good, that good mix of finding an attorney, going in early, finding one that will spend a few minutes, lay out a strategy with you, help you understand when you should do do things, why you should be doing things, not just telling you to do things, but explaining it along the way and then um, in helping you to set out that path. But the biggest mistake is I get, you know, I always see the end of, People wait so long that they miss their windows. You know, I get the people that are coming in and I've got a great idea and I want to get it patented. I've only been out in the marketplace for three years. And I'm thinking, then I have to tell them, you know, well, that's great. They have a great product. I'm excited for you. I hope your business does well. But problem is, is after it's been out in the public for a year, you can't file a patent on it and we can't help you. And so that's, you know, that's a lot of times they miss because they're so scared to go talk with an attorney. They miss the windows that they don't know about. And it creates more expensive and issues if they can even be remedied down the road. Now, my self-interested plug that I'll, if people do want to do a strategy session with me and I, or somebody else, but if they wanted to come to us, they can just go to strategymeeting.com. They can sign up right on my calendar. We'll sit down for 30 minutes. We'll talk through their company. I'll give them advice as if I was in their shoes, what I would do, what I would think about. I try and also offer not just the legal perspective, but the business perspective, because I think that's a lot of times you go into an attorney and they'll give you great legal advice and they'll give you horrible business advice because they've never done a startup, never done a small business. They have no idea how they really work in reality. And so, you, you know, I always try and mix that where I've done both on both sides. That's really important. That's really important because uh, one of my first, first startups was with a guy who didn't know anything about business or technology. And he, his crutch was, let's go to a lawyer. And he's like, I don't, I don't want to do it. And, and do I, I had to, because it was either doing that with him or not mm-hmm. doing the company at all. And at the time it was really early in my you know, startup career. So I kind of felt like, okay, maybe this is a good idea, but dude, you're right. It was all about the legal stuff mm-hmm. and not about the business itself. And so I always tell people, look, when you're going to build a business and go to a lawyer, make sure you have something substantial to take to a lawyer first. Like mm-hmm. do the groundwork, do the groundwork first, because if you go, go to the lawyer and they start dictating to you what to do, you're doing it backwards. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I said, I always joke, but I think there's a lot of truth to it. Lawyers great, give great legal advice. They give horrible business advice. So don't go to an attorney for business advice. Run your own business. Now, I said, I'll, call, I'll put myself as an exception because I have done, I've grown several startups. I've done seven and eight figure businesses. And so I've, I've, I've split my attention, you know, split my efforts between startups and small businesses and the legal field. So I'm probably a bit of an exception. But generally, if you're going into an attorney for business advice, to your point, you've got it flipped backwards. That's awesome. That's great. It's great that you've done both. So you can give some really good, helpful information to people when they come to you. So strategymeeting.com. And um, you you have a website for your your law business? 
Yeah, so strategymean.com, that will actually link to the law, the, web, the website, but it's primarily for a calendar to sign up. If you want to just find out more about the law firm in general, find out more about our prices, information, learn some in, or learn some stuff, just go to lawwithmiller, all one word, dot com, and then they can uh, find out more about the firm, myself, everything and all about it. Awesome. Thanks again for coming to the podcast, Devin. I appreciate it. Hey, it was a pleasure. It was fun to chat a bit about business and IP with you. Yeah, hopefully we made a legal a little bit more interesting for people to listen to. <laughs> That's right. As, as interesting as law and attorneys can be. Awesome. Thanks for listening. If you learned something in today's episode, please subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. You can learn more about me at jasonsherman.org. Don't forget to pick up a copy of my book, also called Strap on Your Boots, on Amazon. And if you want to dive even deeper into the world of entrepreneurship, I suggest you sign up for my course called Startup Essentials on Udemy.com. Also, you can support this podcast by leaving me a positive review and also by visiting patreon.com slash strap on your boots to become a member and get bonus material. See you in next week's episode.